And I hope that you all brought your Bibles. I'm going to start to say that all the time because it's important. And it's not important that you, that you get, are seen carrying your Bibles into church. I don't really care if, if you know, you got one of these that's got like the gold on it, if you got a big one, if you got a big Bible case, if you have like a wheel cart that you have to drag behind you with all of your sermon helps, you know what I mean? However much gear you have to bring the, to worship. But, but the main thing is that you bring something so you can engage in the conversation. I read something that really blew me away. They talked about the experience of worship and the experience of getting into the Word of God. And they said that for many people, they show up to church service like it's a spectator sport. You know what I mean? You've bought your tickets. You've got your seat. You're in your favorite spot. You're all comfortable. You've got your coffee and donuts. You know, you've got your stuff, and you're ready for the show, you know? And, and talks about how that's a, a, an, an appropriate position to be in when we're coming to hear the sovereign God speak to us. You see, we don't come to kind of watch God. We come to listen and participate. And so part of that, I believe, is having, your, you know, the Bible with you. If you didn't bring one, no guilt, grab one of ours. We actually want you to have one of your own. So if you don't have one, ask us. We'll get you a really cool Bible, the one you want, and, and then you can bring that with you. You can also take it with you in other places in life. But we hope that you're coming here not today to see what happens, but to be part of what God is saying, be part of what God is doing among us. And that involves opening the Word of God and studying it together and growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an important thing. So I hope you've come today ready to not spectate, but participate. You think? Yeah, maybe. I hope you change that. I hope you come to participate, right? That's why I come, and I don't come to dictate. I come to participate. I want to see what God's doing, hear what God's word has to say to us. And I hope you're doing the same thing I really do in your life. And if not, have a conversation with me. I would love to talk to you about that. We're going um, to jump back into a series we started at the very first of the year, and we kept saying, we're going to get back to this um, because the schedule, things changed um, because of family groups and stuff like that, which was awesome. But we're going to get back to what we were doing at the very beginning of the year for a few weeks here, and uh, really excited to continue this, this series we started called The Estranged. And, um, you know, it's, I, I, that, that idea of estranged is like there's something about life as a follower of Jesus that's not the same anymore. You know, it, it, it's some things that you used to, we talk about this all the time, there's things in your life that used to really matter that don't matter so much, and things that you always thought were irrelevant really matter a lot. And, and the cool thing about um, these books we've been studying, First and Second Peter, um, by the way, if you haven't read them yet, I would encourage you to read them both. There, it's a very easy read, but we're going to be studying through Second Peter now for the next three weeks. Um, we're, we're written by uh, an apostle named Peter. Now, you, you probably have some idea how big of a deal Peter is in the church because there's all these cathedrals called St. Peter's Church, right? Like, Peter has a lot of churches, you know what I mean? Um, he, he's, like, right there next to Paul, you know? If you're going to name a church something, it can be St. Peter or St. Paul, right? They're all going to be, you know, jockeying for position on, on uh, who is the first or who is the foremost. So Peter is this kind of high and holy guy. And yet, I want to remind you, because when we get into these letters from Peter, it's really interesting that we can put him on this pedestal like St. Peter, like he's untouchable, like he wore these big vestments and these, this hat, you know, and he did these things and he, he walked around, he kind of floated around and he made no mistakes. What's crazy about Peter that we forget all the time, and I love this about Peter, is that he's just like us. I mean, he's just like you and me. I want to tell you that again, because I don't think that we believe it. Peter, the follower of Jesus, was just like us. He was human, just like you and me. 
And the difference for Peter wasn't who Peter was or who Peter decided to be, but what God did in Peter's life to change him, to transform him into a new creation. And so Peter writes these two letters to the churches, and they're named after himself. And in this first letter, he writes to the church to explain how life will be different in Jesus Christ. He says, if you know Jesus, if your life is touched by Jesus, your life will be changed in these ways. And he talks about being strangers in this land, having a new heart for the things of God. And so that's what he talks about in the first letter. Now, the second letter he writes um, a few years later, and he's writing to encourage the church to kind of make some corrections to the church, to reorient people back toward God and toward what he says later is the original promises you received. And that's interesting for us as followers of Jesus because we can believe, you know, that we had that experience and we're on the right track the whole time. And Peter here is going to, you know, redirect us toward God's purposes in our lives. Now, unless you don't believe me about Peter not being a holy man, I mean, Peter, you know, because we do that, right? Like St. Peter, if you see the stained glass, he looks pretty holy in stained glass. I think you'd all look pretty holy in stained glass too. But he's an ordinary guy. And I want to I jump back here. Um, we're not going to start here. But I just want to share something with you. And then we're going to get into today's scripture. But I want to share something from the Gospel of Luke. And this is a story about, you know, uh, Jesus first encountering Peter. And where he finds Peter is in a boat fishing. And, and not fishing like we fish, like a casual Sunday afternoon fishing. Like he was a working fisherman. You know, he was hauling nets. He had, the, he had, you know, calloused hands. I mean, he was, he was a sailor. He probably talked like a sailor. Peter, you know, talked like a sailor. And it says this, it says that one day Jesus was by the shore and he saw some fishermen there and he was teaching the crowds. And so he climbed into Peter's boat and he pushed himself back a little bit and he sat down in Peter's boat and he started to teach. Now, we hear later from the word that Peter had been fishing all night. And here he pulls in, and there's this guy teaching all these people. And he, he says, can I get in your boat? Yeah. And he gets in the boat and pulls back to get away from the crowds. And Jesus starts to instruct them by sitting on Peter's boat. And here's what's interesting about it. And I'll just share this from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to pull up the, uh, some of it here on the screen. But this is what it says. When Jesus had finished speaking to the people, he turned to Simon, that is going to be Peter. You see right now it's Simon, but he's going to be changed. He turns to Simon and he says this, put out into deep waters and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered him and said, master, we've worked all night. We worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything yet. But because you've commanded me to do so, I will put down my nets again. This is Peter, the Simon, the fisherman. And he says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. There were so many fish, they had to call another boat out, and they had to load fish into the buddy's boat, and both boats were about to sink. And here is Peter's response. When Peter saw what Jesus had done, this rabbi, this teacher who had asked to sit in his boat, this is Peter's response to the sovereign God of the universe. He falls down at Jesus' feet. And he says, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. That guy gets a church named after him. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Simon Peter, the one who, who immediately, and, and this isn't the only time it happens in his life. I mean, we're going to talk next week about something else that happened that was unbelievable for Peter. But when he has this encounter with the living God, he's not like, oh, I'm with you, you know, like we're on the same page, God. Peter's like, down. He's going, I am so full of sin. I am a sinner. This is the response, a real response to the living God showing up in our lives. And I want to say that because we can take these books that Peter wrote and we can make them all high and holy. We can make them like Peter's like preaching at us. He's not. He's talking with us about what it really looks like to follow Jesus as a sinner like us, as a normal person like us. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to know that Peter was just like me, not holier than me, just like you, not holier than you. So as we continue in the word today, I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer because here's the thing about the word of God. I ask you to bring it to church. I ask you to take it to your small groups. I ask you to, you know, spend time in the word, but don't do it alone. We do it with God's Holy Spirit. It's the inspired word of God. And when we read it, we pray that God would inspire us to understand it. And therefore, it's the living word of God. Join me in prayer. Father God, we come to your house today to glorify your name, to raise up our Savior Jesus, to learn more about him. And now we come to your holy word, your revealed truth to your people, your church. I pray today that in every way possible, we'd set aside the failings that we have, our sinful selves. We confess like Peter, Lord, we are sinful men. And yet we long to hear the word of life breathed into us. We long to know your scripture, not in our heads, in our hearts, in our lives. And today, Father, by your power, by your presence, may you speak to us. May we come as those listening and longing to hear your word for us today. Breathe new life into your people. Show us your way, Father, today. And we will wait and we will sit at your feet until we've received your instruction. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray it is holy and revealed today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, who makes all these things possible. Amen. So go ahead and turn. If you brought a Bible this morning, and if you didn't, grab one off the table and go ahead and turn to, uh, I don't know how I got ahead of myself here. I'll go back. We're going to look at um, 2 Peter uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to kind of jump in here at the beginning and just walk through um, this text to get today together. There's nothing mysterious about what we're doing here on a Sunday morning. There's nothing mysterious we do in Bible studies, right? We pray that God's sovereignty would reveal himself to us. We pray for the Holy Spirit, and we read the Word of God. And so I'm going to ask you to participate with me this, today. So this is the way he opens his second letter to the churches. He says, Simon Peter himself, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. By the way, it's interesting because in his first letter, he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus. He doesn't say servant, not a big deal. But the second time, he's, he spent a few years serving Jesus. And he's like, I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus, the Christ. By the way, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. I'll say it to you all the time because I think we get it wrong. It's his anointing, his messiahship. It's his unique position. And here, Peter's going to talk about it. This letter is written to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. 
And he says these words in the opening of his letter, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And so here, right at the beginning, it's important because when we're reading a letter, we want to know, like, you know, who's it from, who's it to, and what's its purpose? You know, what's it going to talk about? And here Peter says, it's from himself, but I think it's interesting because he says, to those who through the righteousness of God and of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. You see, Peter is like right with us. He writes this letter to the churches, and he's not saying, you know, from the, from the I'm, I'm writing as one who God revealed himself to, to the unrevealed heathens out there. What he says is he says, to the people who've received the faith as precious as ours back here, we've all got this faith that's been given to us. There's a lot going on here, and I hope you can see it. Look at what it, the word says. It says, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus the Christ, have received the faith as precious as ours. Have you ever wondered how you ended up being a follower of Jesus yourself? I mean, have you ever, have you ever wondered? Have you ever thought about, you know, sharing your faith with someone? And how does that happen? And I know sometimes we feel like we can, we get people, you know, we're trying, we want, we want to share the good news, we want them to know it. But here what Peter says is, you've received a faith as precious as ours. You've, you've been given it. So this is going to be the first kind of the overarching principle of the book, Second Peter. And it's this, it's found right here through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That what Peter's going to teach us next, because here's the problem. If you read some of Peter, you can get into like a works righteousness. You can read and you can say like, oh, these are the things you got to do to be a good Christian. But you see, Peter is going to base everything he knows, not on himself. Remember what he said about himself? Get away from me. I'm a sinner. He's going to base everything he teaches, as will we, on the sovereignty and the righteousness of Jesus, the Messiah, okay? So that's the first thing we're going to talk about here is that everything that we have is from Jesus's righteousness. And this is a big, big deal because this is where we kind of get, and we get Peter wrong too, you know, because you go like, oh, Peter is that holy guy. But Peter was just a guy who came to know that Jesus died for him and that he had this new life in the righteousness of God. And so Peter starts to write these things about, wow, do you know what we have in the righteousness of God? And he's going to explain some of those things to us this morning. We're going to hear as he opens his second letter some of these truths that we have in Jesus' righteousness. But we can't miss that point. We can't miss the point that he says that we receive this from Jesus the Christ, our God and Savior, who has given us this faith. And then he has those words, which I love, right? Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. I always wonder, and I've said this, I think, before here, but I always wonder if we, if we open, like, emails to one another with a blessing like that, I'd probably be more in, interested in reading the rest of it, <laughs> you know? Um, I know a few of us around here text with blessings like that because they're very, the long texts, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, if you wrote, I mean, we don't write letters much anymore, but there's something about a letter that becomes formal, but on the front side, you just say, you know, I, I pray that God's really speaking to you right now. I pray that you're being blessed beyond measure 
in your life right now. And that's how Peter opens his letter. It's the custom of the day. You can see when Paul's letters, he does the same thing. He opens his letters with a blessing to the readers. And so this is where we start. It's understanding that this righteousness was received. This gift was received through the righteousness of Jesus. So let's go on to the word this morning. So the first thing here is, is in, in uh, the first few verses here, he's going to say, uh, Jesus' divine, divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And so right away, he's talking about the power of Jesus to, to give us everything we need. And I want to camp on this for a minute because this is, this is something that I struggle with. I'm not sure if you do too, but in Jesus' righteousness, and that means his sovereignty, his, his word, his plans, his ordination, I talked about, you know, preordained trip, that we have been given everything we need in Jesus Christ. I mean, everything. And this becomes a big deal because if you're a follower of his and you would be like, yeah, but I'm not Peter. And Peter says, look, in the divine power of Jesus, you have everything you need. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? It feels like we don't have everything. You know, if, if I could just got a few more things in line, if I just, and we can do this whether we're believers or not. We can say, you know what? I'm going to go to church when I got my life together. I'm going to put my faith in Christ whenever I have enough stuff figured out. But Peter says to us, in the righteous, righteousness of Jesus, you have everything you need. I'm going to be obedient to God's calling in my life. I have heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. I know what he's calling me to do, but I'm a little scared. And whenever this next thing gets in line, then I'm going to do it. And Peter says to us, in Jesus' righteousness, you have everything you need. In his divine power, you have everything you need to be obedient to him. Right? Because sometimes our needs aren't based on what God wants us to do. Our needs are based on what we want to do. You know, whenever I get enough stuff in, in, in line, then I'll be ready to obey. I'll, I'll be ready to do what I want to do. And God says, no, I've given you everything that you need to do what I'm calling you to do. And that's a different thing. And so Peter says, through the divine power of Jesus Christ, we've been given everything that we need for life. Listen to the word. And godliness for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Wow. That's amazing to hear that the God of the universe has given all his divine power to make us holy, godly people. See, now we start to see this new life that Peter has found and this life and the knowledge of him who called us according to his glory and his goodness. Praise God for that. Read on in verse 4. It says this, through these, through what? Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's a couple things happening here, but I want you to see that he says, through these, through what? Through his divine power, through his own glory and goodness, he has given us this great and precious promise, these promises, so that through the promises, you and I can participate in the divine nature. 
And I think, man, that stuff, Peter, what are you doing? And what's funny is later on in this letter, Peter says Paul wrote stuff that was hard to understand. Like, Peter, you were a fisherman, you know? Can you say it more clearly for us? But in the promises of Jesus and his righteousness, his divine power displayed on the cross for all of us, this pouring out of himself, this ascension into heaven, by the way, and sending of his Holy Spirit, we've been given everything that we need to be obedient. And then he says, in this way, and this blows me away, church, and I don't know if you're, I mean, I, I think sometimes, you know, I said earlier about being spectators in worship. You know, worship is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I wonder how many times we sit back and we're spectators in true worship. We just watch life go by. You know, we say, oh, somebody should do something. You know, I see that problem and somebody should do something about it. Somebody should speak to that person. Some, somebody should love them. Somebody should care. Peter writes here and he says, in these things, we can participate in the divine nature of God. That stuff makes me uncomfortable, you know? Interesting, because the divine nature, we sang about it earlier, you know, we sang about um, uh, his wind and mercy blowing us around like trees, right? The, the divine nature here means the winds of God it means the puffing. When God moves, and you can be part of that movement through the promises of Jesus Christ on the cross, through the promises that he said, if I go to the Father, I'm going to send the counselor to be with you. No one will have to teach you anymore because you'll know in your spirit, you'll know, you'll be taught from the inside out what you ought to be doing. And you can be obedient in the moment, not in some legalistic way to follow the list of rules, but in the moment when you sense God moving, you can get on the God train and be like, I'm going to go with you. And you can participate in the divine nature of God. That's a big deal. And it's the first thing that Peter starts his book out with. He starts out this idea that you and I, I hope you're hearing me this morning, because this, isn't, this is right here in front of us, that you and I can participate in what God is doing through the promises that Jesus made over us. He is not content to leave us alone. He is not content to let us spectate. He is not content to leave us where he found us. You see, he heals us, and then he says, take your mat and walk, go. And that's you and I. We get to participate. And that's all Peter did. I mean, Peter's one of those guys. He was a fisherman, and he was just crazy enough to think, God means it. I'll do that. Do you remember Peter? He got out of the boat. I'll, get, I'll walk on the water, sure. Let's do that. And Peter says here, we can do the same thing. We can participate in the divine nature. And the second part of his promise is this, by participation in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So it's a twofold. So in one hand, you're actually, when you respond to the will of God in your life, when you respond to the divine nature, at one point, you're actually participating in God's sovereignty in the world. You are part of God's plan. But at the same time, you are fleeing destruction. Do you see that? The movement is the same. Which here's the, the crazy thing. That means if we are not being obedient to the Spirit of God, we are, we are spectating as God moves, we are left in the destructive and evil you know, world. We're left with what the remnant. We're left with the people who are, uh, who are in the world and who are covered by evil desires. And we can be that ourselves. We can be in that same place. 
And so Peter says here, you not only get to participate in divine nature, but you get to escape or flee the corruption in the world at the same time. That's so cool. Who wouldn't want to do this? And so then he gets down to some brass tacks, right? And he says, you've been given this gift. And, and so Peter says in verse 5, look with me if you would. He says, for this reason, here, here's, the, here's the instruction, church. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Do you see what happens here? So Peter lays this foundation of the righteousness of Jesus, our God and Savior. He lays it down. He says, you've been given this gift of faith. Here it is. You have this clean slate. And now, as much as you're able, build on this foundation. And he goes through and he starts to tell us how to build on the foundation that God has given us as followers of Jesus. Do you understand that? So I want to show you a little bit how this, how this looks in our lives, you see. So here we are, and we've been given this gift of faith. And it's kind of this, it's, this, it's the, it undergirds everything, you know, I mean, and I want to remind you that Paul says, if it were possible, we'd be snatched from the hand of Jesus. But he's implying that it's not. You see, that, that is like a, it's like a girder that we stand on, and it's just solid as a rock. I mean, it's the faith that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And we stand on that, that faith. But then Peter says this. He says, make every effort. He means, you know, pour yourself into these, these, this work. And he gives us this progressive list of things we should be looking at in our lives and developing, intentionally choosing to be part of. And so the first thing he says to add to faith is goodness, right? Add goodness. And the idea of goodness is um, like, I always think about like ethical behavior, you know, goodness, right? I'm amazed right now how some of the some of the food manufacturers have caught on to the idea that we're tired of eating unhealthy foods, right? Team 619 people. And we're frustrated with the food we're getting served. And so what they've decided to do is they've decided to put some stickers on boxes that say things like 30% less fat, you know? Um, or they put on these, these labels that say, hey, hey it's, it's, it's Diet Coke, right? As, and it implies that it's goodness. But you see, the problem is when you get inside, it ain't goodness, 30% less fat is still all full of fat, you know? I mean, if it ain't coming off the vine, if it's not fresh, if it doesn't have like three or four ingredients, it's really bad for us. And here he says, in your life, don't, don't have, you know, Jesus called it hypocrisy. Don't pretend. Have goodness, real, you know, health. Through and through. It's about being an ethical person. I remember one of the classes I took whenever I was, Studying to be a pastor was called uh, ethics. I hated that class. You think, oh, it's crazy, you know, unethical pastor. No, you know why? Because it's all this stuff up here in your head. It ain't got nothing to do about being right, about, about your core of you doing the right thing. It's about, you know, these kind of crazy if-then scenarios. Well, if you had this and that, make the right ethical choice. And you're like, come on, you know. But in your spirit, you know, you discern the goodness that you're called to do. Peter says, build onto faith goodness. This means moral excellence. It means virtue. It means 
purity. And here's the trick, you see, because this is between you and God when you're building goodness in your life. It's not about what you do in front of people. It's about what you do when nobody's around. Do you hear what I'm saying? And this scares me because I've seen some people who have been in ministry. I've seen people who are not in ministry. I've seen people who are community leaders. And I'm like, man, they are doing great. And then all of a sudden you hear there's this inside cancerous rot in their life because there's no goodness. It's all ate up. And so all I can tell you as a fellow follower of Jesus Christ is our call is to build in this faith real goodness, you know. Don't pretend to have a bunch. Just if you've got that much, just work on that, you know what I mean? But be true through and through. Be real before your God. Don't fake it till you make it. Because God cuts right through all the garbage and he sees anyway. And our pretending only fools each other, and at worst, ourselves. Have moral excellence in your life, Peter says. Be a person of purity, of virtue. And I know that's high, but I want you to remember this. It came from the guy who said, get away from me. God, I'm a sinner. I mean, his first response was, I'm so far from you. And yet later on, Peter can write these things to you and I and say, the first thing you want to build in your faith is goodness. The second thing he says to build up, to add, is knowledge. So you add knowledge to goodness. Knowledge is not just like knowledge. You can look. I love the saying that all truth is God's truth. So we don't have to be afraid of any conversation. We can have any conversation about anything because all truth is God's truth. But he says build up in knowledge, specifically the knowledge of the things of God, because most of us know quite a bit about how the world works, not very much about how God works. And one fundamental way we can do that is get into the word of God. You know, read it. If there's things you don't understand, put a question mark there and keep going. Keep reading it. Take what you can get from it and multiple passes. You'll grow in the knowledge of God and who he is. I promise you that. I would challenge you to read the word of God for yourself. If you know me, you know that the reading of the word of God is what changed my life. The Holy Spirit inspiring and and, uh, pushing me toward the truth of Jesus Christ through the word of God. And so I would encourage you to read the word of God. Build your knowledge, Peter says. The, the things that you, that you know. Then here's the next one. This is a great one, right? Self-control. He says, add to that self-control. You see, so we're getting, the, we're getting up here. And, and, and this isn't, by the way, I got this kind of thing going, but it's not like you have to wait layers. You know, you keep working on these things because, goodness, there's, there's always some places in me that's got that rot going, you know? And I'm sure it's true for you, too. We don't wait till we're perfect to go on. We keep going on. But he says self-control. This one for me as a guy, maybe, it hits me really hard. And I shouldn't be so sexist. I'm sure it could be hard for women to be self-controlled. I'm sure, right? I mean, it's not like guys have the market cornered. But I can tell you that as a follower of Jesus, nothing is more convicting than when I feel myself get out of control. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I, I know that Peter says here, on your faith, build goodness, knowledge, and self-control. And I, I, I find myself dishonoring God by not being in control of my faculties, being out of my senses. And so in that moment, when the Holy Spirit intervenes and says, ah, 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 you're losing it, you can praise God if in that moment you, you remember, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have the faith that he has given me. And I can choose differently how to respond in the situation. I don't have to be out of control anymore. I don't have to be crazy anymore. I can make a choice on how I respond in that moment. One of our favorite scriptures on um, 
we talk about on Thursday mornings at our breakfast, is uh, taking every thought captive. You know, we talked about it before. You have a few seconds to respond how you're going to react to some situation. And it's about being self-controlled in your response. This is a lifelong process. It reminds me of, of someone who is no longer pushed back and forth by every whim. You know, I think about being uh, maybe like a remote control, you know, that someone else has got the switches. My favorite, my least favorite thing to say is um, they made me do it. Because that's a lie. We say that to people, right? Well, I didn't want to, but they made me do it. No, they didn't make you do it. <laughs> you chose to do it. Like you did, you chose it every time. We might have hard choices in life, but nobody makes us do it. Well, you know, if I didn't do it, somebody else would. Fine, let somebody else do it. You don't have to do it. You can choose differently. And, that, and that's for me too. I mean, that's what I'm saying. We lie to ourselves. We say, well, you know, I was forced or I didn't have a choice. No, you always, in Jesus Christ, you always have a choice. He's been giving you his divine power, his majesty, his promises, and you can choose to be self-controlled. I love the Greek here because it says that self-control means working from a place of strength, being in command. It literally means out of strength, being in command, you see? Being able to push yourself when you need to be pushed and pull back, but always in your right mind, always in your senses. And Peter says we add this to our faith, self-control. Now, I also want to say, if we ever see these things coming out, because, you know, we all do this stuff, right? As brothers and sisters, we, we, we hold each other to account, but we don't judge. We, we love each other. And we, we say, you know, is that really? Praise God when he reveals something from my heart that a brother or catches and goes, is that the way you're supposed to behave? Yeah, it's not. And we go back and set before the sovereign God and say, I got something wrong here. Self-control is a big one. Next, he says, add on perseverance, right? So we're building, we're about halfway up this list that Peter gives us. He says, to self-control, add perseverance. This means endurance, consistency over time. It means remaining, standing, you know? I love that uh, where, where the word says, uh, and at the end, still stand. Just remaining in God's promises that as we're following Jesus and as the journey goes on and things change, at the end of the day, we say, yeah, but I'm still standing on the righteousness of Christ. I'm still here. I'm still following. Paul himself actually said this in his letters. He said, I've run the race. I finished it. And if Paul can be excited about that and we read what Paul did, we can be excited about our ability to stay, to stand, to persevere. There's an implication here that things are going to come that are going to be, you have to persevere against. Because you don't have to persevere if there's nothing to stand against. But there's some things in your life that you stand against. And there's things that you stand on. And so perseverance, Peter says, add that. Remain. By the way, what's funny is we're going to build this up to the, the last in the list, which you know is coming. But perseverance is one of those things I think is so critical because uh, we find that this is, this is a demonstration of love right? It's part of what love means is to stay, stick it out, to persevere. 
The next thing he says, and this one freaked me out a little bit, is godliness. He says, add the perseverance godliness. And I'm like, now, whoa, whoa, Peter, because, you know, I know you started there and you're writing these letters now like you're all high and holy and stuff, but godliness, really? We have to be godly? I mean, how, what does it even mean? You know, because everything I know of me, I'm a sinner, I'm a retrobate, I'm screwed up, I get it wrong, I can't get it right, I'm, I'm frustrated. And, and, and uh, he says, no, add godliness. And the word here is proper worship. There's a word that we don't like anymore called piety, holiness. It's most clearly translated, godliness translates as pious, beyond reproach, above reproach. Be reverent. Acknowledge who God is in your life and who you are and where you stand with him in his grace and mercy, never on our own, but be you know, holy, not in, in ourselves, but in our relationship to him. He says, add godliness. We shouldn't be afraid of this. And I know sometimes those accusations come, oh, you're just holier. No, I'm just following the God of the universe. I'm standing on this promise. It's a natural outcome. This next one's kind of funny. I put mutual up there. The word says mutual affection. If you're looking, and it says um, add to uh, um, brotherly kindness is the way it's translated in NIV. To godliness, brotherly kindness Another way of saying it is mutual affection, mutual love. The word is actually Philadelphia, like just like Philadelphia is the Greek, right? And it means loving friends, loving brothers, loving sisters, loving one another. And so here, as Peter kind of gets to the end of his list of ways we build on to our, our faith, all these things, here at the very top is this love for each other that somehow this is one of those things that's added after we're looking at our goodness and our knowledge and our self-control, our perseverance, our piety, our holiness, our godliness, and then mutual affection or mutual love. This is for you and I to show love to each other, to show grace to each other. And then the last thing he says, and on top of that, build love. And this is Agape. And, you know, what's funny is if you get into the Greek, there's a lot of, not a lot of difference. I mean, you know, philos is mutual love and, and agape is this divine love. And yet, you know, it's in the human context as well. And so um, some translations will say goodwill, you know, add on top of that goodwill. But I always think about John 3.16 because agape is, is what's used there. It says, for, for God so agape the world that he gave his only son. This is the high and holy love. This is the love that God does perfectly and you and I can participate in with him in our lives. What's funny about this list is when we look at it, we think, I mean, how many times do we jump to the top? You know, I love you. We say that to people, right? I love you. I've heard somebody say before, like, you know, you, you love a lot of things. I love my car. What? I love tacos. What? Look at, the, look at the foundation that love, that true love is built on. Goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual respect and love. And this holy, God-ordained love becomes this last thing we're adding on to our faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the problem that we have, and I'm going to throw it out there for a lot of us in our lives, whether it's with our peers or with our spouses or with the people around us, that we say that word, oh, I love you, but we don't have any goodness or knowledge or self-control or perseverance or holiness or mutual affection. And then we throw out this 
word. Oh, I love you so much. And it disconnects because it's not built on these other things in our life. It's tragic. And it makes a mockery of what God says love is. And so Peter says, build all these things on this gift of faith that we have in the divine power of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that uh, without faith, this, this list doesn't exist. It's a gift that we build on. And with faith, we can add all of these things. Look at what the word says. He says, the word speaks to us and says, um, in verse 8, Peter writes, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus the Christ. So that's the first thing, is if we see these, if we build these in increasing measure in our life, if we are seeing more and more of the qualities that we have here, if we're intentionally being disciples of Jesus, it will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. And who wants to be ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ? But then in verse 9 it says, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. And here's the next, the kind of last thought we're going to have, is, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If you say to me, I can't, I can't do those things, or how do you do that? There's no way. We've forgotten what Jesus did on the cross, which is why it's all built on faith in Jesus Christ. Because we've been purified through his sacrifice. We've been made right with God. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we can be obedient to his call in our life. He says, look for these in increasing measure in your life. He doesn't say you have to be perfect at it. And we put Peter up there as perfect. But he says, look for them in increasing measure in your life. And this becomes a foundation that you can build on, that you can work on our work of following Jesus. And then that last point, he says, because if you do not have them in increasing measure, you are nearsighted and blind and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. Read on with me. He says, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. That means that you know Jesus and his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. Because if you do all these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Peter continues with his passion. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right to, listen, refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of my body because I know that it will soon be put aside. And our Lord Jesus Christ has made this clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. His final word to us is that in the righteous, righteousness of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that, that you and I have promises worth remembering. And he says, if you don't see these things building your life, you've forgotten what you have in Jesus. If we don't have the ability to be obedient, we've forgotten the gift that we have in Jesus Christ. 
And then Peter says, I'm going to do everything. I mean, you can just hear the maturity. He knows he's going to die soon. But I'm going to do everything in my power so that you'll never forget. You'll never forget what we've been given in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so here's where we come to this place where I don't know where you are. You know, you know where you are, and God knows where you are. But I don't know where you are in your faith in Jesus. And I don't know how confident you are that you can trust that, that undergirdment of the gift of faith you've been given. I don't know if you were like me and you're on the outside and you're saying an honest prayer in your head today. You're saying, I wish I could believe. I wish I could believe there was something in my life that I could stand on that would never go away. Because I remember that prayer in my life. And yet today, and I just want to put this out there for you, today, God says, this isn't about you, it's about him. It's about what he claimed on the cross. It's about the faith that he has given us that Peter says is more precious than we could ever imagine. And so I hope that if there's nothing else today for you, and if you're just like, I'm like, you know, you've mustered, you've tried it, you can't manifest the faith in Christ. I pray that today you would lay it down at the sovereign feet of the God of the universe and you say, I'm ready to receive it. In increasing my, I'm ready to receive this life. Because that's where we get it. Not by earning it or demanding it, but by God giving it to us. We know he longs to have his people united with him. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me in a moment about that. But I just want to remind you, and if, by the way, I, I got a chance to write an article this week, and it was so funny. But this kind of question about, can Jesus do that? Is Jesus, is Jesus able to fulfill his promises? And, and, and what, I, what you need to understand fundamentally about what happened on the cross isn't some guy who died 2,000 years ago. It's about the sovereign God of the universe who said, I am able what you need to remember about Easter and about the resurrection isn't that it was some fluke or some wacky thing and they weren't sure what it meant, is that God spoke for eternity over death and he said, I am able in Jesus Christ. I'm able to do whatever I want. And in Jesus Christ, this message comes through that it is possible. This message comes through that we have everything we need in Jesus so I hope you'll join me in prayer today, but we're going to lay it at his feet. He is sovereign. It's his will and his purpose. So join me in prayer right now, if you would. Father, we've come into your house. We've worshiped you. We've sang your praise. We've encountered your living word. We felt your Holy Spirit moving in our lives. You've been speaking, and I pray that by your gift, we've been listening. Today, Father, if we're right there and we say, I just can't make it, I pray that we would acknowledge that truth in our heart. No, we can't. But we receive a gift of faith from you. That today something not natural would happen, but something supernatural would happen. That we would surrender ourselves to you. We would say, it's about you, not us. And that you would have your way in our life, in a real way, in a powerful way, that that prayer would be answered. I, I, I wish I could believe, but I can't that that heart will be changed today because of what you're doing. And for all of us who have heard Peter say these things, I pray that we would know that he was just like us. 
He was a man transformed by your spirit and transformed by Jesus. I pray that we would just take that simple faith and receive it and build on it every day. And all this is for your glory, not ours. And I pray in every way that this was a show today, that it, it is thrown out, but that only the truth remains, only the reality of who you are remains in our life. May we be before you like Peter was, confessing our sin and receiving your healing. The cross of Christ is for us, and we thank you for that today, God. We thank you for Jesus. May he receive power and glory. May he re receive all of our efforts and energy. May he receive all of our praise. No one else is worthy. Father, and we thank you that we can confess that today. Do your work, we ask. In Jesus' holy name, amen.